0: Welcome to Men Talk, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of miscarriage, infertility, infant loss, and stillbirth. Hosted by Daniel Landau, founder of MensHelpline.org, we'll be sitting down every week with real guys to discuss their stories, struggles, and triumphs. So grab a drink, sit tight, and let's talk. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Men Talk podcast, where men talk about miscarriage, infant loss, stillbirth, and infertility. Today's guest is is a friend of mine by the name of Joey Gelpe. Joey Joey Gelpe. (laughs) You have to say Joey Gelpe. Um, Gelpe. Gelpe. Joey Gelpe. (laughs) Say that 10 times fast. Joey is one of the founding board members of an organization called Candles of Hope, which focuses in Israel when dealing with miscarriage, infant loss, and uh, Stillbirth. Joey, the floor is yours. Feel free to introduce yourself, to share your story, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay,
1: great. Thank you, uh, Daniel. Um, I really appreciate getting the chance to, to talk about this. Um, I guess it's sort of uh, ironic that we're sort of quiet all the time as men and then suddenly we want to talk. Um, so my story... Um, is that um my um well we had we have um we had one daughter um who was two and a half years old at the time um that we uh lost our second child during pregnancy um so when uh when uh my partner was pregnant with our second child um it was about um twenty weeks in we had uh the like the late scan like the second full uh full um um sonogram i guess it's called i'm not sure in english um and um and everything was pretty much okay one issue was that there was a hyper
2: echogenic um uh
1: hyperecognic intestines. Anyway, it's not a problem in itself. It's basically something that can, that can indicate other issues. Um, the, um, the doctor who was doing, who was doing the tests, he, he kind of took a better look at various things and everything seemed okay. And he said that we need to get checked. Basically it can be an infection. It can be a virus. It can be all kinds of genetic issues. We went to go get genetic testing. We had um, uh, my partner had other other blood tests. Um nothing indicated a further problem. Um they recommended that we do um a um amniocentesis. Thank you, amniocentesis. Um and uh and because we' were at a certain point in the pregnancy, I think it was like twenty two twenty three weeks they they said that we have to wait till it's thirty two weeks um in order to do it and um and I guess we were sort of semi concerned but um i think i was I was more worried like that we'd have to that we'd find something wrong and we'd decide to terminate the pregnancy um and uh at 30 weeks um um I kind of said to my to my partner I said uh you know you haven't like mentioned like oh feel her movements uh you know uh, even said like you know feel my my belly feel the movements and and uh and she said oh really I haven't felt her for for a bit and um and then she like laid down she said when she lays down she always moves and then she like ate a little piece of chocolate. She said, okay, chocolate always gets her moving and still nothing. You know, like wondering what's going on and waiting. And then I, um, <clears throat> I, uh, I was like reading online forms and everything and, and people said, yes, it happens. You know, then everything was okay. And yeah, we went and we get tested and everything was fine. And then I like read one post where someone says, um, yeah, that happened to us for like 33 weeks and, and our baby had died or something. And then I like got really stressed and I said okay we we should go um to the hospital and um and I asked my uh my parents came over to like take care of our uh eldest and uh, she was already asleep and uh we got in the car went to the hospital and um my wife first had to go like my wife went into to like start getting prepared and start getting tested and I had to go do some administrative work. I got back. They said that they try to monitor and she said that she's probably small and they can't and they need like to take us like to the um to the ultra scan and, and to look at um um to look there and it was like a separate room. It wasn't where all the other women are uh all the other women who are gonna deliver um and then um, a doctor came in and he was like checking her and like looking all over and, and, uh, well, I don't know. It was like this crazy state. Like you don't know exactly what's going on. And like, <laughs> I guess there's a lot of denial at that point. Um, and then, um, the doctor said he has to get another doctor. He, he left another doctor came back. It was a, uh, like a more senior doctor and he was like looking and looking at, like, okay, like what's going on? He said, oh, I just have to make sure didn't say of what and then he was like checking and checking and checking and then he turned to us and he said I can't find it. Like like Anilo Motze. Like I like I can't find like he didn't even said I can't find a heartbeat. Like and then we understood that she was uh that she was dead. And um we went to uh went through the whole process of uh of the delivery. Um, and, uh, figuring out like, what do we do? And we, they gave us this booklet about all these choices and starting, and we started reading online and figuring out like, what, (laughs) what happens now? Um, and, um, and my partner was like, okay, I just like want to get this over with, um, And, um, and then, and then we went, we were in the delivery room and it was terrible. And, uh, and we decided to, uh, to see our baby and, uh, she was born and it was 30 weeks. So she was small, but pretty much a regular baby. And, um, the midwife wrapped her up for us and in a like a blanket and gave her to us. and so we spent some time with her and kind of, uh, said our, I don't know, said our goodbyes. I don't know what, uh, we listened to a song and, uh, had our, like our own little goodbye ceremony. We, we decided not to participate in the, um, in her burial. Um, there's all these decisions you have to make about whether you want to participate in the burial or not. Uh, or if you just want to take her and do a private burial, um, but we did want to do, uh, a, um, a, um, like,
2: um, post, what's it called? A
0: post-burial, like, follow-up.
2: No, it's
1: not, it's not burial. It's, it's a Nituach where they, it's, um, an autopsy. Yeah. an autopsy an autopsy we didn't know what had happened and we like wanted to know what happened um and they were all kind of extra terrible things i won't get into everything um but uh, also we knew that if we ask for an autopsy it takes a long a lot of time and and they will eventually um and even if you want to change your mind about the barrel you can change your mind because it takes them like months to to get to the autopsy we um and then um My partner was very like it was it was really tough. She had a lot of bleeding we had to i mean they they took our baby i mean we said our goodbyes we said they could take her away she went they took our our baby you know her body away we went and then they had to deal with her bleeding and and um and the following days were also hard physically she had to get like a blood like a blood transfusion and um Um, besides obviously being, um, in a lot of mourning and grief. And, uh, and you know, it's, that's, I mean, that's just the beginning. Um, then there's going back to work, talking to people, telling family, telling friends, not telling people, dealing with the bureaucracy afterwards. Um, later on, we decided that we wanted to bury her. And then we found out that the hospital had made a mistake. They didn't do the autopsy and they had buried her already. And um and that was like another whole nother like punch to the stomach. Um we like went like we didn't know what happened, like we called them and and they said, like, oh uh she's been released already. Like this like the <laughs> And then we went into the hospital and like went to the delivery room. It's two weeks after our birth, we went to the delivery room. We like stood there in the middle of the delivery room asking like, what's going on? Where is she? What happened? Um, Eventually we talked to the head nurse there. She explained what happened and she was like, she apologized. And, um, yeah. And then, I mean, there was just, I went to back to work about a week later. Um, And, um, my partner was, she had her, uh, her maternity leave. She ended it a bit early, but that was like two months she did. And, uh, she spoke, I mean, she's, she's a therapist. She spoke to a lot of her colleagues, her friends. She like, just told them the whole story from the beginning to the end, each time crying and everything and everyone listened. And, um, my family was pretty supportive and, um, kind of didn't reach out so much to my friends to tell them. Um, and I went back to work and some people like told me they're sorry. Some people didn't. Some people like had these totally insensitive things like after a week or so that like, you know, if you're depressed, you can either fall into it or get over it. Um you No, know,
2: you, you know, just try again and um and i was in a really like <clears throat> it was really bad for me i had i went
1: i went back to i went back to my therapist and uh there were no support groups for men i was looking for support groups for men uh resources for men online the largest most active support group um and facebook was only for women Um, there was one which is like for men and for women, but it wasn't very active.
2: Um, and for like half a year, I was like totally,
1: (laughs) I mean, you know, I don't know, it was totally grieving and I felt like if I let go of the pain, you know, like I let go of her memory of, uh, of my, Mai,
2: my memory. We gave her a name, my, and, um, and
1: after a while, like my partner said, you know, you're never going to forget her. Like she'll always be with us. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I sat down and like, I wrote a long Facebook post. I wrote all these things. I, I, I posted it and it was sort of like, just writing and getting it out was was helpful to me um and since then it's it's been i mean i still it's still something that's important for me i got like a a tattoo that reminds me of her and um i always said like oh i I get a tattoo but there's nothing i'd want to have on my body for the rest of my life and then suddenly there was um and um still, there were no support groups and I eventually um I found like I was contacted by um Malka nukrian who runs support groups for women at uh at Hadassah hospital in Jerusalem, and she said that there's this um group of people that are trying to organize a, a new non nonprofit that will like deal with support for stillbirths and everything and so that's how I got into Candle of Hope. And we met and we thought about it and we talked about it. And we came up with a name and our mission. And I mean, most of it they had put together already. Elisa Rappaport and her mother, um, who's since passed away, uh Rebecca. And we've been trying to do <laughs> meaningful things for people who have suffered um, pregnancy
2: loss or um, still birth or, or early, uh, infant death, like, um, yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it's a
1: marathon. Well, I guess we'll deal with it. You know, we're slowly moving things forward. As you probably know, it takes so much work to make little changes, but, um, but I think things are changing.
0: Wow. That's quite a journey. And I'm, and I'm sure at the time it probably was really hard. And that's probably is still really hard. You know, those feelings don't go away. You're always going to remember, her. um. but it, it makes us stronger. You know, I'm really glad that you found a way to to cope and to deal with it through therapy, because a lot of, a lot of men don't like going to therapy they feel that we're strong and we don't want to sit around a room and say, How do you feel about that? So the fact that you did that was pretty incredible and pretty inspiring.
1: Yeah, I think one of the most important things for me actually it, <laughs> before the therapy was that me and my partner would just talk a lot. And um and just, we were really able to accept each other's pain and to be there for each other and just talk and listen and hug and cry. And, um, you know, I think, you know, also when, uh, there's this, everyone says like to be strong and all that stuff, but when if, I think that when one person is strong for the other person, they're cutting themselves out and leaving the other one feeling alone. And, and also my partner has mentioned this, like a lot of times when, people talk about like child loss as being like a women's issue and like supporting men and talking like only towards the women uh supporting women and only talking towards women they're really leaving them alone cuz the first person who is there and the person who was probably there the most with them is their partners and uh you know and it doesn't only have to be men but yeah I mean
0: this <laughs> is um so true i want to take a step back for a second. You know, obviously I'm glad you're, you're, you're speaking about it because it does need to be spoken about and to end the stigma of when a couple goes through that, you know, the man doesn't suffer from it because the man really does. Um, So in the hospital, when the doctor said, I can't find a heartbeat did they have to confirm it again? How were you feeling, you know, at that point, standing beside your partner? I mean, I'm sure you must have been devastated, but how were you actually feeling? Because I'm sure the focus was on her, right? They didn't ask you, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How can I help you get through this?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, at the time
1: it was, most like just me and my partner were just like crying together, um, and holding each other. So I think that again, that was like the most important part. Um, and that moment, it's, I mean, it's total shock. And the midwife who was with us at the sa- at the time was actually another one who like has these, <sighs> runs these, Um, support groups for women she started telling her that she has the support groups and so yeah so the focus was was uh somewhat on her um after like we did all of the paperwork we needed to we went up to the we don't go to the maternity ward you go up to the um to the like the women's ward whatever it is um and then and the nurse it was like 1 a.m already and the nurse Um, gave us the room and she sat down and she talked to my partner and said, said, how are you? You know, and she talked a bit and she turned around. She turned to me, looked at me and said, how are you? And that was (laughs) something I, I remember and it was, I wouldn't say unique. That it was the only time, but it was definitely
2: out of character <laughs> of the way people um, people say, "How is she? How's
1: she doing?" You're also, the one who goes around telling people, "You're like walking around," you know, you go outside, you have to go to the supermarket, you meet someone, and you don't want them to know, like you don't want them to like walk up to her and say, "Oh." Mazaltov, you had a baby because she doesn't have a tummy anymore. So you say, you know, tell everyone so they know. <laughs> so they,
2: you know, you're always, you're talking about her also. You're not saying like, this is what happened to me.
0: Yeah, that that that's probably very hard too. Because people assume that once you're pregnant, you see a big stomach and then you don't have a stomach anymore that you had a baby, right? It's just not talked about, you know, stillbirth. It, it, it should be talked about because nothing being shaved about, something being embarrassed about, nothing you feel guilty about because one in, and uh, 160 births and stillbirth. So someone to your left, someone to your right could have gone through it. And I really feel like education needs to happen about people need to know about that. This exists even, from a young age, no one ever taught, spoke to me or spoke in a class about stillbirth, yeah. miscarriage. It's always, don't you know, get pregnant, you get pregnant, you're going to have a baby. Nobody wants to put a negative spin on it, but really, it's part of life, unfortunately. And it's a club that for some reason, you know, we're chosen, <laughs> you know, you're chosen for. Um, and you'll never understand why or how. What how we can fix the situation. So I think that's something yeah. that, you know, as men, it's it's hard to to try and understand it. Obviously, we're, we're grieving in different ways than, than our partners are because of that, but
2: it's it's got to be tough.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, I think afterwards, I like opened up the pregnancy books and like, what to expect when you're expecting and the more comic ones, what to expect when your wife is expanding and pregnancy for cavemen or whatever it's called. Like, and I don't know, maybe I found like a little mention of pregnancy loss there or something, but, um,
2: no, but there's, I mean, there's, there's something else when I thought
1: also about our discussion and I thought about something i've thought about for the last couple of days quite a lot um and and this is i mean this is our our my was born in in 2017 so it's been um like four and a half years already um so i mean it's called stillbirth and sometimes i use that because i like don't want to challenge the person i'm talking to too much or or I want people to know what I'm talking about since stillbirth is a little bit more well-known, but it's really child loss during pregnancy. Um, and I think that it's not only stillbirth. I think that people who lose a pregnancy can often
2: feel the same way.
1: Um, and I don't like the fact that she was born Still, as they say, isn't, I mean, that's not the story. The story is that I have
2: a child who died. And it happened while, during the pregnancy. Um, but I think that that's a big part of why I feel the way
1: I do. And possibly why other men, maybe and other women, feel this way maybe they have the words to say it like that maybe they don't feel that way maybe they feel differently like you know i mean that's that's what i feel has happened and and the fact that you know my partner was pregnant physically and delivered our daughter physically it that has a lot of meaning and that's important and i'm sure It's a, I mean, I know that it's very difficult for her and was very difficult for her, but, but then my whole life I'll live with, you know, I'll have another daughter that no one will meet and no one will see. And, and I've lost her. She's, you know, she has, she has died. And that's just what it is. And that's, you know, that's why it isn't something you just get over. And it isn't something. And I, and I think also maybe, I feel like maybe it's like this for men too. I feel like some, for women, a lot of times they say, you know, okay, so just like, let's just be pregnant again, have another baby. And it'll be some sort of, I'll feel better. And maybe the fact that I can't have a baby. (laughs) Also, I mean, I feel like, okay, I'm happy. We had another, we had an early miscarriage after that. And we had another daughter who was born alive and healthy after that, which is wonderful. And, and my, I talked to someone who told me that when they asked, like, how, how can you love another child? Like you love your children so much. How can you have space to love another child when you have another baby? He says your heart expands <laughs> to, to hold more love. And I feel like that's the same way. It's not that it's not that one child is replacing another or now that I have love for another child, I don't have the pain for another one. Like I have more love, but I also have that love for my child who has died. And I'm still holding that love and that pain that's connected to that. Um anyway so that's like my issue with with the term stillbirth which i feel is so especially for men it's so like it's so like like concentrates the attention to like this single moment of birth but it's like there's so much more meaning and so much more happening there
0: you're absolutely right i think the medical term needs to change because it is the loss of a child it's not just about a birth i mean I'm sure you're thinking about it every day. I mean, you got a tattoo, which is great because it makes you, you know, think about it. So that, you know, I just, a lot of people don't realize what it actually means or the impacts of it. And sometimes I hear that after a loss like this, or even going through a miscarriage, that men are afraid to have another child because they're so traumatized, they don't want to go through another trauma. And yes, you know, sometimes couples are in different wavelengths. Men don't want right away; women want. You know, they want to try and recover from that loss. Did you feel that way at all when you were going when you're going through it and think about how? Yes, I could have another child, but I'm just not necessarily ready for it.
1: Yeah, well, I had a, I had a lot. And I was, I was definitely pushing back on it um, in comparison to my partner who was more into like, into like, let's, let's like go ahead and try. And I was, I think I want I like wanted to wait, like, okay, just at least half a year. Like we just, I just need time. And, and I don't know what it is. Like, do I just need time to grieve? Do I need time to like, if we do have another pregnancy, then like to be in it more, um, I don't know what it is, Um, but I think that what you're saying is on the spot, and it was very, it was and is very true for me, Um, even, even discussions about having another child, like, I don't, that's enough for me, like, I've gone through enough, also, with our third daughter, who was born healthy and everything, there was, like, an issue with, like, one of her kidneys, and And like, then we worried a lot and we had the amniocentesis again. And like, it was just like so stressful. And she also has to go for periodic checkups. And like now with, with my kids, when something happens to them, sometimes it just brings me to tears. And it's like, it's like nothing. It's like, I don't know. They, like they've fallen and scraped in the air. I don't know. Like, can't think of an example now, but, uh, my eldest like fell and she had to get stitches and I took her to the hospital. I was like, every so often while I was there waiting, um, for this, um, anesthesia cream to kick in. I was just like, just like felt like teared up. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it's connected to like this, you know, deep, deep trauma that we have, from, like suffering from such a loss. Um, and it's like ingrained, like even if it isn't in our conscious, um, and it's definitely true regarding pregnancy, it's very, the pregnancies were very um one-ended quickly after that.
2: But um the second one, like there was so much, so much anxiety.
0: How did you deal with that anxiety?
2: Not as well as I wanted to.
1: Like one of the things that bothered me with my is that like after we had that ultrasound where like there was some issue that was found and I felt like you know maybe we'd have to terminate the pregnancy at some point, which is also like this horrendous, I don't know, it's terrible terminology, terminate the pregnancy. Um, so, so I felt like more disconnected. Like I was like, I felt like I would. Talk less to her tummy and touch less and like to feel her movements and uh and I regret that because it was like that was the time that she was alive, and I don't know what level of consciousness exists for for a baby you know for a fetus. Um, but, uh, but there was like, if she could ever feel anything, that was the time. And if she could ever feel my love, that was the time that I could give it to her. And I was like, I was
2: distanced. Um, and with our third daughter, I felt like, okay, now,
1: like, it doesn't matter what, like, I'm just going to like, try to invest the most, but I still felt that I was like, had this distance. Um, and I think that it was due a lot to that anxiety. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, and talking, talking to my, to my partner was, I guess, the best thing I could do at that time about it. And she felt she was, she had similar feelings. Um, so that, that was, I guess, what I could do. <laughs> That was at least somewhat helpful.
0: What you say is so true. Like talking it out to your partner is so important, especially when you're dealing with this, because if you don't, you can really, really break down, go into a really dark place. So the fact that you were able to open communicate with her, that's that's huge. I want to go back back a quick second because you mentioned, you know, even when you went to the hospital for for your child for a simple stitch or whatever the case might be, you had trauma there. Do you find that switching hospitals might help because you suffered a trauma in one hospital where you had the loss of a child and try and somewhat disconnect from that hospital and go someplace else? Or did you go back to the same hospital, even though it was in a different ward?
1: What? Well, actually, our, our... Our third daughter was born at the same hospital. All our daughters were born at the same hospital. (laughs) We went back um, because we liked the hospital. And despite some some things that should not have happened and happened there related to the stillbirth um, and to the birth itself and what happened afterwards, um, we still thought that that was a good place um, for birth. And that was the most important thing for us. That was like that if something happens, and our daughter needs help um and also kind of we felt they owed us (laughs) I don't know I guess it's sort of bad to say but like you know they messed up and like this is their chance to like give us better treatment and like make sure that things are better um I don't know for the stitches it was a different hospital just because it's closer um but, uh, no, I, like, I don't feel, I don't feel like we, we evade that hospital and I don't, personally, I don't like evading triggers as people like to call them. Um, I feel that it's something that you can choose not to take head on and you don't take head on all the time. And I'm sure that I, talk the talk more than I walk the walk, but, um, and sometimes I do evade and, um, but I think that like, it can be very helpful to just deal with it. Um, which is not always possible. I don't know. I mean, I've also felt the need, so I guess it could be different for a lot of men who don't feel the need. Like they may feel that they're afraid or they want to stay away um and that's i mean that's okay and that's I, I think that's fine
0: you think you would have dealt with it a little bit differently now you know looking back on on what happened and and the loss knowing what you know now what do you mean by dealt with it differently in time of crisis that you know you're sitting in that hospital saying okay now there's no heartbeat here's the book of options of what what to do what to choose right? You're not necessarily thinking through what's the best option. How are you going to deal with this best? You're kind of in crisis mode of how are we going to try and solve this issue, how we can get through it fast and what's going to be the right decision. Whereas now looking past the loss and reflecting, I guess, year after year, I know that the hospital, you know, made some mistakes. They know you want the autopsy. They didn't do the autopsy. Like, would you still have made the same choices and say, you know, do the autopsy, you were going to do a little small burial, would you let the hospital just do what the hospital's got to do?
2: Well, I mean, if I, if I went back to what happened there at the hospital around the time of the birth, um, I mean, the only, the only thing that I do differently, I think is spend more time with, with my daughter, with her body, whatever you want to call it. Um, because it would be more meaningful for me. Um, some people
1: take their baby home. Some people wash them, put clothes on them. And I think like we're so, first of all, we're so like, disconnected from like death and like stay away and there's there are issues there's in issues in Judaism, issues in other religions from what I understand with the dead body. But like personally and also based on my belief system which is which is a little bit more secular. Um like and I've read about like books about like how people treat death and different cultures and they treat it so differently. Like it would just be So that's what I feel like today. I don't know if that's true, but I feel like it would have been so much meaning, more meaningful for me if I took that time. Like this was, you know, talk about the pregnancy and I talk about my regrets during the pregnancy. And then after she was born, this was like my only time to like create some sort of lasting memory for me
2: with her or some form of her. And that's the most meaningful thing to me, which, which is also, I mean, I would also want
1: to be at her burial, but that's, I don't know. Some things just happen
2: as I've learned. Some
0: things just happen that are out of our control.
2: What advice
0: would you give to other couples, other men who have gone through this experiencing the loss of a child or what we call medical term stillbirth
2: um i
1: don't know i don't believe that there's anything that i can say um that will make someone feel better i don't feel i don't think that there's a need for someone to feel better. I think it's fine to feel whatever, whatever you're feeling. Um, I think it's the advice would be to accept
2: yourself, accept what your spouse is going through. Um, just try to be, be there for yourself, be gentle, be accepting.
1: If you're angry, be angry. If you're sad, be sad. If you're feel a lack of emotions and apathy, then just be apathetic. Um, If you feel that someone is saying the wrong thing to you, you can say, I don't want to talk about this and get up and go out of the room. If you feel that someone is saying the right thing to you, then (laughs) grab on with both hands and both feet and just just Spill it out and say what you want to say and hug and cry and do whatever you feel is right. And again, not everyone has the luck that I've had with my partner, but um it might be right and she might want to hear what you have to say and she might want to know that you're in pain as well. And not be alone. And maybe if you feel that you have to help her, maybe your way, way of helping her is showing her how devastated you are. So, you know, don't be afraid. I mean, not don't be afraid. If you're afraid, that's okay also. <laughs> but you can take the chance. If you if you feel up to it, you can take the chance and try talking about it. Maybe Maybe it'll be the right thing to do
2: at that time um for you for her um, yeah i guess that's just be just be accepting and gentle with yourself
0: that's really wise words to be gentle and accepting of yourself it's challenging it's not easy but it's probably one of the one of the best ways to do it because if you're too hard on yourself you can go into a dark dark place you know, remember, you're not alone in it. You can talk about it. You can cry about it. You can get a tattoo. You can draw it. Whatever resource and means that have out what you have, utilize it. People want to listen. People want to hear your stories and and they help you through
2: it. Definitely. Do you think? Yeah,
0: before we conclude, like, do do you think that in the hospital setting that there should be more awareness and sensitivity about this? I I mean, I don't know how long they gave you with your child, but do you think that they should give you as long as you you know as long as as long as you need and not really rush you to take the child? I mean, even. Having a regular pregnancy and having having a child that's needing medical intervention, a lot of times they whisk that child away from you. Is it the same in this situation that, or did they give you all the time in the world that you needed to process and, and and be there with this child
1: um i I didn't feel that that the that the delivery room staff had had pre- pressured us in some way. Um, there's definitely more space to be sensitive. Um and uh I mean it is a hospital, like they're working crazy hours and everything, and I think that there's this mindset that like you're walking into a happy place and then you're like with you're with our daughter holding her and crying and the the midwife walks in, you know, innocently and says Mazalto and <laughs> You know, because why should there be, you know, a dead baby in the delivery room that you're holding? But you know, that also happens. So, um, so I didn't. We didn't feel pressure to like just like give her up. But um, but there definitely is a lot to to improve about like how how to handle everything, like to give extra sensitivity. Which I hope which I, you know, I don't know. I know it's asking a lot. they the staff is going through a lot, but and they're also suffering from this
0: as well. But um The truth is I'm sure it it affects them just as much as it affects us. You know, we're all human beings. And when yeah. you walk in that situation. It's it's not an easy thing. Do you think the hospital should make a separation? Not that you go into birth thinking you know, you're going to lose a child. But one of the biggest triggers for me is walking into the hospital and there's the woman's emergency room where someone could be suffering a miscarriage or going through a loss. And then right next door to it, there's a delivery room. Do you think there should be separations in the unit to have specific areas if, you know, unfortunately, there's, you know, no heartbeat and you're going to have to deliver and a separate area for let's say just a regular miscarriage and then like completely on the other side or on a completely different floor regular delivery so to speak
1: well yes and an ideal word yes um i understand that there are economic um constraints but uh but more definitely more there should be more distance and and I mean some hospitals trials the hospital that our delivery was in like it was the room at the end of the hallway so it's like as distance as possible um but yeah I mean if if there were it would be it would obviously be much more much more helpful and much more meaningful like not to go not to like listen to like the joyous crying babies while you're
2: going through your miscarriage or, or stillbirth.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that needs to be worked on and sensitivity training for the midwives not to walk in and say, Tov, congratulations, mm-hmm. you just had a baby. Like they should be prepped beforehand and know what's going on in each of the rooms because it's not always you know, it's painful. I mean, I just, I can't imagine hearing that. I'd just be like, come on, are you kidding me, really? (laughs) Like,
1: we just said to her, she's dead. (laughs) It was terrible. It was like, (laughs) sorry, I don't know if this is too hardcore for the podcast, but this is what it was. This is is
0: real emotions. (laughs) This is is what people want to hear.
1: You know, we were crying, so it was like, and then she like came up and she was like trying to like be nice to us. And then eventually I said, we'd like to be alone. And you
2: no, know, I don't know. Like again, you know, she, I'm sure it was a bad experience for her, but
1: definitely at the time, I mean, now I can say like four and a half years later, I can be more, <laughs> I guess, more, more sympathetic. But at the time for sure, I was like had like zero
0: tolerance for it. I think the training needs to go back to the top, you know, yeah. and have part of training, even for the doctors to tell you how they tell you there's no heartbeat. That needs to change as well. Obviously it's not easy, cut and dry. There's no heartbeat, but the way it's approached, in my opinion, again, I'm not a medical, I, even though I'm trained as an EMT, I'm not, a, I'm not an MD or as they say mm-hmm. me doctor, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that, when someone is going through this, I think it's painful enough. I don't think that it should be relived and relived, and have to have doctor after doctor check and confirm and confirm. Like if there's no heartbeat, it sucks, you know. Yeah, it's 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 not fun. The news is, is is difficult, but I don't think that hospitals or even physicians and clinics. I, I don't I don't think that you should have to relive it time after time after time and to recheck and to recheck and to recheck.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've heard worse stories. Unfortunately there are always worse stories, but like people like just in the, like in a clinic being told stuff and just like, Oh, the, like being like a sonogram technician, just saying, Oh, Oh, like I found this problem. And they're like, so excited because they found this rare this rare defect in a, in a, (laughs) in the fetus. And it's like, this is my child. What are you talking about? Um, so, so yeah, I mean, they definitely, they need to, to understand more, like what people are going through and that to, to treat it differently and to like know how to do that switch, uh, and to receive the support that they need, um, in those situations which are hard for them. Um, I mean, now yeah, we're hoping also in the in our in candles of hope to like to start moving on to like helping train medical staff. Um, I mean, they they have some; they learn a bit during their medical medical school, I think, and nurses as well. But like to actually go in and like talk to them and like explain to them. And I know that there are other people doing that.
0: Training is key, and understanding it is key. Because mm-hmm. if you don't. It can be a train wreck. What are some of the other things that Candles of Hope are doing? How can people find out more about Candles of Hope and the work that they're doing?
1: Um, well, we um right now we have a website um, with uh, with information in English and Hebrew, and we're hoping to add um, more. Languages in, uh, in, in the future. Um, we, um, uh, and our Facebook page, we, we post you know, posts and, uh, with information and, um, and also with updates on the organization. Um, and so what we do is we have various, like, um, we have various, uh, conferences or webinars. Sometimes they're more like therapy oriented to help like people who are, who are th- psychologists, um, social workers, um, nurses, midwives, um, get a better idea about what's going on to learn more about, um, child loss, um, before, during and after pregnancy. Um, and, um, uh, before birth. Well, before, during and after birth, I guess. (laughs) Um, um, And also for people who have... um, Stuff that's more oriented to people who who have suffered a loss. And we try to, like, interview people who have written about it or or made movies um, which discuss the issues. Um, We uh, also try to, like, pair up people with support. We aim to have uh, like a hotline, but it's still in the works. Um, But anytime someone, we get information about someone who's suffered a loss. uh, Sometimes we talk to them personally. Um, Sometimes it's people who are like before they're at the hospital um, or midwives who say like, like someone came in. This is a situation. It's complicated. What do I do? Um, Like, how can I help them with, I don't know, they want to know about burial. They want to know about this or that um so we help them or we help pair them with an organiz- another organization i think it's very important for us to like not do something that's already being done there are some great organizations in israel um and helpline um and uh and we don't want to do the same thing that someone else is doing um we also are trying to um kind of move things forward on a in the Knesset, and Israel's parliament, um, we've been in touch with a, with a member of parliament, hoping that she'll kind of spearhead an effort to increase um, the government's um, like the government's regulation and support and maybe funding. Who knows of uh, of changing the way things are done in hospitals, in in the Kupot Cholim, in the um, the HMOs in Israel. Everything. Um, so there's. Um, yeah there's um, I mean there's so much uh, to do
0: work is endless Yeah, Joey thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and sharing what uh, candles of hope is doing and if you are in Israel and you have gone through a loss like this please don't hesitate to reach out I'm sure Joey's happy to speak with you and reach out to Candles of Hope. They're here for you. Uh, They want to help you. And it's a phenomenal organization and they're doing great work. And Joy, I really applaud you for for your efforts on that because I know it's not easy as a guy, especially dealing with this. And the fact that you're taking the advocacy route and and getting involved with this organization, it's unbelievable. So, kola as they say.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Daniel it's very meaningful that you told me that (laughs) pleasure.
0: You've just listened to another great episode of men talk with Daniel Landau. If you've suffered from miscarriage, infertility, stillbirth or infant loss, and want to open up about it, reach out. We'd love to have you on the show. You can also join our Facebook group, or if you'd like to get involved and start a chapter in your neighborhood, visit our website, www.menshelpline.org today. Until next week, stay strong and remember, You're not alone.